Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for week six of our Acts to the Ends of the Earth series. This is our last week, and as I'm bringing this this morning, um, I can't help but think and pray, uh, especially for everybody who's uh, kind of in this winter uh, weather. I know here in central Arkansas, it's around negative one degrees Fahrenheit. It's very cold, uh, but I hope on this day that um, this message can bring you a little bit of warmth. Um, as well as some encouragement uh, from God. Um, And so let us go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 28. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today, looking at verses 1 through 31. Um, This is going to be out of the message paraphrase that I'm going to be reading from, and we're going to be looking at Paul and his third missionary journey. Over in Acts 28, it starts off and says this, Once everyone was accounted for and we realized we had all made it, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The natives went out on their way to be friendly to us. The day was rainy and cold and we had already been soaked to the bone, but they built a huge bonfire and gathered us around it. Paul pitched in and helped. He had gathered up a bundle of sticks, but when he put it on the fire, a venomous snake roused from its sleepiness by the heat and struck him on the hand. Seeing the snake hanging from Paul's hand like that, the natives jumped to the conclusion that he was a murderer, getting what he deserved. Paul shook the snake off into the fire like it was nothing. They kept expecting him to drop dead, but when it was obvious he wasn't going to, they jumped to the conclusion that he was a god. The headman of the island was Publius. He took him into his home as he did his guests, drying us out, and put him uh, in fine style for the next three days. Publius's father was sick at the time, down with a fever and dysentery. Paul went to the old man's room, and he laid hands on him and prayed, and the man was healed. Word of the healing got around fast, and soon everybody on the island who was sick came and got healed. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit here uh, in verse 10 and look towards Rome. We spent the next three wonderful months on Malta. They treated us like royalty. They took care of all of our needs and outfitted us for the rest of the journey. When an Egyptian ship that had wintered there in the harbor prepared for leave for Italy, we got on board. The ship had a carved Gemini for its figurehead, the Heavenly Twins. We put in at Syracuse for three days, and then we went up to the coast of Regidum. Two days later, when the wind out of the south, we sailed into the Bay of Naples, and we found Christian friends there and stayed with them for a week. And now let's stop for a moment. I know before we get into verse 14, sounds like a really great missionary journey, doesn't it? With the exception of the snakes. I mean, they're getting treated like royalty, People even believe that they're gods because they can heal people. And so let's now look again towards Rome in verse 14. And then they came to Rome. Friends in Rome heard that they were on their way and they came out to meet us. One group got as far as the Appian Court and another group met us at the three taverns. Emotionally impactful meetings, as you can imagine. Paul, brimming over with praise, led us in prayers of thanksgiving. And when we actually entered Rome, they let Paul live in the own private quarters with a soldier who had been assigned to guard him. Uh, That's a nice way of saying he was on house arrest. But three days later, Paul called the Jewish leaders together for a meeting at his house. He said, The Jews in Jerusalem arrested me on trumped-up charges, and I was taken into custody by the Romans. I assure you that I did absolutely nothing against Jewish law or Jewish custom. After the Romans investigated the charges, they found that there was nothing to them, and they wanted to set Paul free. But the Jews objected so fiercely that he was forced to appeal to Caesar. 
I did this not to accuse them of any wrongdoing or to get people in trouble with Rome. I've had enough trouble through the years that way, but I did it for Israel. I asked you to come and listen to me today and to make it clear that I'm on Israel's side, not against her. I'm a hostage here of her hope, not her doom. They said, nobody wrote us warning us about you and no one shown up saying anything bad about you either. But we know we would like to hear much more. The only thing we know is about this Christian sect that nobody seems to have anything good to say about it. They're talking about the resurrection of Jesus there. They agreed on a time, and when the day arrived, they came back to his home with a number of friends. Paul talked to them all day from morning to evening, explaining everything that involved the kingdom of God, and trying to persuade them all about Jesus and pointed out what Moses and the prophets had written about them. Some of them were persuaded whenever he said things, but others refused to believe a word about it. When the unbelievers got cantankerous and started bickering with one another, Paul interrupted them, and he says, I have just one more thing to say to you. The Holy Spirit sure knew what he was talking about when he addressed the ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. And here is prophecy today. Go to this people and tell them this. You're going to listen with your ears, but you're not going to hear a word. You're going to stare with your eyes, but you're not going to see. These people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears and they will not listen to anything. They screw their eyes shut and they won't look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. It's a pretty powerful uh, prophecy there. Verse 28, you've had your chance. The non-Jewish outsiders are next on the list. And believe me, they're going to receive it with open arms. It's great news for the Gentiles we see in this story. Verse 31, Paul lived for two years at this rented house on house arrest. He welcomed everyone who came to visit, and he urgently presented all matters of the kingdom of God. He explained everything about Jesus Christ, and his door was always open. I know that's a pretty incredible scripture we see there. Um, this really sums up his third missionary journey, because Paul returns to Jerusalem. We see this in Acts 21, and he was arrested also later in that chapter. He has several trials, and he testifies about Jesus in front of governors and kings. But Paul, keep in mind he was a Roman citizen, he made an appeal to be heard before Caesar, and he was within his right to do this. As a result, the officials transferred Paul from Rome under guard, and we kind of see that in the story again. But as the story of Acts concludes, and it wraps up, Paul had been under house arrest for two years. Just as the book of Acts begins with Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God, Acts ends with the statement, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Even though the book of Acts ends, the mission of God and the advancement of his kingdom is still continuing even as we're here together today. And this is the story we find ourselves in. We're in the next chapter. Um, in some cases, we're the sequel. And so um, I want you to begin thinking about ways today and how you can have a vital role in living out God's kingdom and taking it to the ends of the earth. Because from the book of Acts, we've observed a ton of practical ways that we can advance the kingdom. Uh, we talked about a few weeks ago that we can actually live out the gospel, not necessarily say the gospel or preach the gospel, which we need to do that too, but we can literally live the gospel. The earlier believers lived as examples of what a redeemed people 
would look like under the rule and reign of a new kingdom, that kingdom being God's kingdom, not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of God. We are to incarnate the gospel of the kingdom to others through our actions, our words, our attitudes. We need to also proclaim the good news, and we also need to practice it. And notice the word I use there. I use the word practice. A lot of these things are not going to come natural for us, especially things like radical generosity like we talked about uh, two weeks ago, or even showing love to people who maybe haven't been very loving towards us. So in a lot of ways, we do need to practice out the gospel. As we looked at first, we can live the gospel. I think another thing we can do, secondly, is we can connect with others. Jesus simply didn't wait around for people to come to him. He walked from village to village looking for people. He found people on the road. He found them in marketplaces and synagogues. He found them in public places and private places. He found them by lakes. He found them in the temple. He even found them at a wedding and at a funeral. Um, He would eat with sinners, and he would also eat with the religious leaders. So there really wasn't a group that was excluded from Jesus. Um, So whenever, wherever the people were, Jesus was also there. Because a good shepherd is always looking for lost sheep. And so in the same way, Jesus sends us out into the world to connect with people. And as you go throughout your day, maybe go throughout your work, uh, interact with your family, um, maybe even people you meet at the gas station or at the grocery store. Um, You're going to find people that are hurting. You're going to find people that are in need. You're going to find people that God wants you to highlight. And it's within these relationships, like with family, friends, neighbors, uh, maybe club members, classmates, that the gospel can be spread, not just for the sake of you know, crossing it off of our little religious list, but literally so people can hear the gospel, so they can be healed by it. Uh, as that prophecy from Isaiah tells us, the last thing we want is for people's ears to be closed permanently and eyes to be closed permanently and not be healed. And so I think about, again, think about ways that you can get creative in doing that. So the first thing we looked at is we can live the gospel as we kind of close out this last week. Second thing we can do is we can connect with others. And I think lastly is we can share the gospel. Again, this is a little bit different than living the gospel. So living the gospel isn't really with words. um, It's with action. Um, We actually looked at this last week that this is huge because, especially in the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus really shares this, this really wild sermon. Um, that people honestly wouldn't have liked to hear a whole lot. And it was uh, him in some ways repeating the Ten Commandments. Hey, you have had it, you've heard it said this way. However, also do this. You've said not to murder your brother, uh, but I tell you, uh, and then he goes on to say that it's not just about the act, but it's also about the intention of the heart. And we actually see that play out here and later in the book of Acts, that it's not just about sharing in words the gospel, but it's living it out. It's it's our intention as well. Um, and that can't be overlooked as we kind of close out this last week. Because thirdly, I think we can share the gospel. That throughout the book of Acts, we witness disciples. Um, disciples that were often, you know, a few chapters ago, uh, scared, hiding out, uh, unfaithful. 
but they were engaging in meaningful conversations wherever they were. They were showing love and compassion, and they were sharing the story of Jesus with others. But remember this, we do not do this in our own power, but in the power of God. That's directly out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you'll receive power when I come upon you. Um, so we are Jesus' witnesses to a hurting world, a world without hope, a world on its last thread. And I want you to think about a time, maybe, where you sharing the gospel with somebody radically changed their life, or maybe even how it radically changed yours. So we've looked at that we can live the gospel, we can connect with others, we can share the gospel, and I think lastly, we can remain on mission. And I think this one can kind of be tough. We think of uh, great sweeping discourses in Scripture like uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, or Acts 1, 8. Um, they speak directly of mission. But no matter Paul's circumstances, he always sought to be an ambassador. Whether he was bit by snakes, whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was on house arrest, he still was a witness of Jesus wherever he was. And this is, this is pretty huge because I think that sometimes we think, well, if I have to have all the resources, um, I have to have all the answers, I have to be well-versed in scripture. Um, and we don't see this in the story because we can always represent Jesus to others. We are to live normally, but think missionally. Again, we're to live normally, but think missionally. Just go on about your usual life, but as you go, let the Holy Spirit lead you in a missional adventure. And I want you to think about, again, how that can happen this week. So as we kind of end our time, I want to ask you a few questions that might be helpful um, as you contemplate Acts 28 verses 1 through 31. Is how can you better connect with strangers this week? With people in your relational sphere? How can you meet them where they are? Next question is, how comfortable are you on sharing the gospel with someone? Why or why not? And maybe if you are comfortable, why do you feel that way? Or if you're uncomfortable, why do you feel that way? Also, how can you live normally, but think missionally? And lastly, how can you share your story or your testimony? I know that um, often some of us really have a hard time with the testimony piece that, you know, maybe I don't have this huge, sweeping, very dramatic testimony. I know I used to think that um, I was raised by Christian parents, and so I used to think, well, I don't have, you know, all these stories about where I maybe was a drug addict or where I did this or did that and was in a lot of trouble, and the Lord saved me from that. But it wasn't until later I realized that really through a rich heritage of my family and other things, you know, God really spared me from that. And so in a lot of cases, um, I could speak about God's continued faithfulness in my life and about how that had led me to love and serve uh, humanity. And I think that um, for so many of us, that might be our story. Of course, there might be some really awesome trophies of grace also listening to this. 
and those are incredible testimonies as well. But I want you to just don't discount your your testimony. Remember that it's important. Remember that it's your story, and remember that it needs to be shared because that's God's work in your life. And often we learn from those. So again, how can you better connect with strangers in your relational sphere? Are you comfortable with sharing the gospel with someone or not? I know this can also be a little bit difficult, right? Especially if it's somebody we absolutely don't know. Um, I know this again is kind of for me. Um, this really seems an opportunity to more live out the gospel instead of sharing it. Um, often, um, many people listening to this know that me and my wife are officers in the Salvation Army, and so often we meet a lot of people we don't know all the time um, that come in on the absolute worst day of their life and they're looking for a little slice of hope, whether it be through paying of an electric bill or getting an emergency dinner or coming to stay at the shelter or whatever else it might be. But I do know that often it's those showing the gospel that makes so much impact, not just saying it. It needs to be said too, but it's it's so much in the act. And people will ask the question, well, why do you do this? It's, it's not because you're making a big fat paycheck or driving the nicest car or get to wear a really awesome uniform every day. But it's more so in the fact that we get to physically, we get to, we get to show Jesus love to people who desperately need it and who often wouldn't get shown in any other way. And so think about how you can better connect with strangers. Maybe you can do this um, in some things that you do, like maybe it's through um, extracurricular things, like maybe um, cycling, or maybe it's through hiking outside. Maybe it's through uh, your spin class, or maybe it's through a workout group. Uh, maybe it's through Bible study fellowship with other believers. Maybe um, maybe it's through... Um, you know, a support group of young mothers raising children. I don't know what it might be for you, um, but you can connect in all kinds of different ways. And often I've found the best connection comes from finding people usually in these groups and then working through that. Because at least then you have something in common. And I think that really leads us to our next question of how can you live normally but think missionally? And I think this is it. We kind of make this really weird sometimes that you can think of some people that are probably just absolute zealots about this and just crazy. Um, the people that, you know, put tracks all over your car whenever you go inside of the grocery store and do all kinds of things, which isn't necessarily wrong. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's the best case of the gospel just because it's, it's very, uh, it's very informal. Um, but, um, how can you live normally and think, missionally. Um, and again, I think this really comes through finding people in certain spheres of influence that you share something in common with and you have some common ground because they're more apt to listen to the gospel. And if you show them with your life and your lifestyle, uh, man, there's nothing better than that. And not for the sake of making it just some works-based thing, uh, or even to just be this shining example saying, look at how great I am, but more so about truly and legitimately reaching people for the gospel because we want to see people healed. And so as we kind of end our time today, uh, I want you to think back to our scripture, especially that, um, that prophecy that we see in the book of Isaiah. I mean, again, this is paraphrased. It's out of the, 
the message. Um, but may our world not be like this because of our mission. May we be able to go to people and tell them, you're going to listen with your ears and you're going to hear. You're going to have words said to you and your eyes will be opened. You will not stick your fingers in your ears and you will listen. You will keep your eyes open and you will look so that you can deal with God face to face and he will heal you. It's so radically different than how it's written because there's nothing worse than seeing this play out. You're going to listen with your ears, but you won't hear a word. You're going to stare with your eyes, but you won't see anything. You'll stick your fingers in your ears and you won't listen. You'll screw your eyes shut and you will not look. You will not be able to deal with me face to face and you will not be healed. That's really what's at stake here is if we don't share, we won't be healed. So I know as we finish up Paul's third missionary journey, I hope that this encourages you. I I hope that it gives you uh, new hope uh, for the world and also uh, new excitement to go out and share your story. If you have any questions, feel free to drop them in the comment section. And again, thank you for joining us for the six-week series of the Acts to the Ends of the Earth. Thank you, and we will catch you next week uh, for our first Lenten message of the year, which is really exciting. Take care, everyone. God bless.